0: Signor Formica in Weird Tales, Volume 1 by E.T.A. Hoffman. Translated by J.T. bielby This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Signor Formica. Note on title. This tale was written for the Leipzig Taschenbuch zum Gesettingen der Lügen for the year 1820. Return to text. 1. The celebrated painter Salvatore Rosa comes to Rome and is attacked by a dangerous illness, what befalls him in this illness. Celebrated people commonly have many ill things said of them, whether well-founded or not, and no exception was made in the case of that admirable painter Salvator Rosa, whose living pictures cannot fail to impart a keen and characteristic delight to those who look upon them. At the time that Salvatore's fame was ringing through Naples, Rome, and Tuscany, nay, through all Italy, and painters who were desirous of gaining applause were striving to imitate his peculiar and unique style, his malicious and envious rivals were laboring to spread abroad all sorts of evil reports intended to sully with ugly black stains the glorious splendor of his artistic fame. They affirmed that he had, at a former period of his life, belonged to a company of banditti respecting the facts of salvatore rosa's life there exists more than one disputed statement and of these perhaps the most disputed is his share of complicity if any in the evil doings of calabrian banditti poor and of a wild and self-willed disposition but with a strong and independent character he was unable to find a suitable master in naples So, at the age of eighteen, he set out to study the limelence of nature face to face, and spent some time amidst the grand and savage scenery of Calabria. Here, it is certain that he came into contact with the banditti, who haunted those wild regions. He is alleged to have been taken prisoner by a band, and to have become a member of the troop accepting this as true we may perhaps charitably believe that he was prompted not so much by a regard for his own safety as by a wish to secure a rare opportunity for studying his art unhindered and also charitably hope that the accusations of his enemies that he actively participated in the deeds of his companions are unfounded or at any rate exaggerations it may be remarked that the life and times of Salvator rosa by lady morgan eighteen twenty four is admittedly a romance rather than an accurate and faithful biography. return to text they affirm that he had at a former period of his life belonged to the company of banditti and that it was to his experiences during this lawless time that he owed all the wild fierce fantastically attired figures which he introduced into his pictures just as the gloomy fearful wildernesses of his landscapes the selves salvage savage woods to use dante's expression were faithful representations of the haunts where they lay hidden what was worse still they openly charged him with having been concerned in the atrocious and bloody revolt which had been set on foot by the notorious masaniello in naples note masaniello a poor fisherman of naples was for a week in july sixteen forty seven absolute king of his native city. At that time, Naples was subject to the crown of Spain. The people, provoked by the exasperating rapacity and extortion of the viceroy of the king of Spain, rose in rebellion, choosing Massignello as their captain and leader. Return to text. They even described the share he had taken in it, down to the minutest details. The rumor ran that Agnello Falcone, note, falcone sixteen hundred to sixteen sixty five teacher of Salvator rosa and founder of the compania della morte painted battle-pieces which bear a high reputation his works are said to be scarce and much sought after return to text the rumour ran that agnello falcone the painter of battle-pieces one of the best of salvator's masters had been stung into fury and filled with bloodthirsty vengeance because the Spanish soldiers had slain one of his relatives in a hand to hand encounter. Without delay, he leagued together a band of daring spirits, mostly young painters, put arms into their hands, and gave them the name of the Company of Death. And in truth, this band inspired all the fear and consternation suggested by its terrible name. At all hours of the day, they traversed the streets of naples in little companies and cut down without mercy every spaniard whom they met they did more they forced their way into the holy sanctuaries and relentlessly murdered their unfortunate foes whom terror had driven to seek refuge there at night they gathered round their chief the bloody-minded madman masaniello and painted him by torchlight note at first the young fisherman administered stern but impartial justice But afterwards his mind seems to have reeled under the intense excitement and strain of his position, and he began to act the part of an arbitrary and cruel tyrant. Several hundreds of persons are said to have been put to death by his order during the few days he held power. Return to text. They gathered round their chief and painted him by torchlight, so that in a short time there were hundreds of these little pictures circulating in Naples and the neighbourhood. Note. Amongst them, more than one by Salvatore himself. Return to text. This is the ferocious band of which Salvatore Rosa was alleged to have been a member, working hard at butchering his fellow men by day, and by night working just as hard at painting. The truth about him has, however, been stated by a celebrated art critic, Taillasson, I believe. Note. A French painter and writer on painting. Was born near Bordeaux in 1746, and died at Paris in 1809. Besides other works, he wrote *Observations sous sur quelques grands peintres, 1807. Return to text. His works are characterized by defiant originality and by fantastic energy both of conception and of execution. He delighted to study nature not in the lovely attractiveness of green meadows, flourishing fields, sweet-smelling groves, murmuring springs, but in the sublime, as seen in towering masses of rock, in the wild seashore, in savage, inhospitable forests. And the voices that he loved to hear were not the whisperings of the evening breeze or the musical rustle of leaves, but the roaring of the hurricane and the thunder of the cataract. To one viewing his desolate landscapes, with the strange, savage figures stealthily moving about in them, here singly, there in troops, the uncomfortable thoughts arise unbidden. Here's where a fearful murder took place, there's where the bloody corpse was hurled into the ravine, etc. Admitting all this, and even that Ayasson is further right when he maintains the salvators of Plato, Nay, even that his Holy St. John proclaiming the advent of the Saviour in the wilderness Looked just a little like highway robbers Admitting this, I say, it is nevertheless unjust To argue from the character of the works to the character of the artist himself And to assume that he who represents with lifelike fidelity what is savage and terrible Must himself have been a savage, terrible man He who prates most about the sword is often he who wields it the worst. He who feels in the depths of his soul all the horrors of a bloody deed, so that, taking the palette, or the pencil or the pen in his hand, he is able to give living form to his feelings, is often the one least capable of practicing similar deeds. Enough! I don't believe a single word of all those evil reports by which men sought to brand the excellent Salvatore an abandoned murderer and robber, and I hope that you, kindly reader, will share my opinion. Otherwise, I see grounds for fearing that you might perhaps entertain some doubts respecting what I am about to tell you of this artist. The Salvator. I wish to put before you in this tale, that is, according to my conception of him, is a man bubbling over with the exuberance of life and fiery energy, but at the same time a man endowed with the noblest and most loyal character a character which, like that of all men who think and feel deeply, is able even to control that bitter irony which arises from a clear view of the significance of life. I need scarcely add that Salvatore was no less renowned as a poet and musician than as a painter. His genius was revealed in magnificent refractions. I repeat again, I do not believe that Salvatore had any share in Manasiello's bloody deeds. On the contrary, i think it was the horrors of that fearful time which drove him from naples to rome where he arrived a poor poverty-stricken fugitive just at the time that massaniello fell not over well dressed and with a scanty purse containing not more than a few bright sequins in his pocket note the sequin was a gold coin of venice and tuscany worth about nine shillings threepence it is sometimes used as equivalent to ducat See note, page 98. Return to text. He crept through the gate just after nightfall. Somehow or other, he didn't exactly know how, he wandered as far as the Piazza Navona. In better times, he had once lived there, in a large house near the Pamphili Palace. With an ill-tempered growl, he gazed up at the large plate-glass windows glistening and glimmering in the moonlight. Hmm... "'I exclaimed peevishly. "'It'll cost me dozens of yards of colored canvas "'before I can open my studio up there again.' "'But all at once he felt as if paralyzed in every limb, "'and at the same moment more weak and feeble "'than he had ever felt in his life before. "'But shall I?' he murmured between his teeth "'as he sank down upon the stone steps leading up to the house door. "'Shall I really be able to finish canvas enough?' in the way the fools want it done? Hmm. I have a notion that that will be the end of it. A cold, cutting night wind blew down the street. Salvatore recognized the necessity of seeking a shelter. Rising with difficulty, he staggered on into the Corso. Note. The Corso is a wide thoroughfare, running almost north and south from the Piazzo del Popolo a square on the north side of Rome, to the centre of the city. It is in the Corso that the horse races used to take place during the carnival. Returned to text, and then turned into the Via Bergognona. At length he stopped before a little house with only a couple of windows, inhabited by a poor widow and her two daughters. This woman had taken him in for little pay the first time he came to Rome, an unknown stranger, noticed of nobody. And so he hoped again to find a lodging with her, such as would be best suited to the sad condition in which he then was. He knocked confidently at the door, and several times called out his name, aloud. At last he heard the old woman slowly and reluctantly wakening up out of her sleep. She shuffled to the window in her slippers, and began to rain down a shower of abuse upon the knave who was come to worry her in this way in the middle of the night her house was not a wine-shop etc etc then there ensued a good deal of cross-questioning before she recognised her former lodger's voice but on salvator's complaining that he had fled from naples and was unable to find a shelter in rome the old dame cried by all the blessed saints of heaven is that you signor salvator well now your little room up above that looks on to the court is still standing empty and the old fig tree has pushed its branches right through the window and into the room so that you can sit and work like as if you was in a beautiful, cool arbor. Aye, and how pleased my girls will be that you will come back again, Signor Salvatore. But you know, my has grown a big girl and fine-looking. You won't give her any more rides on your knee now. And, and your little pussy just fancied three months ago she choked herself with a fish bone. Ah, well, we all shall come to the grave at last. But, you know, my fat neighbour, who you so often laughed at and so often painted in such funny ways, you know, she did marry that young fellow, Signor Luigi, after all. Ah, well, nozze magistrati sono da Dio destinati. Marriages and magistrates are made in heaven, they say. But, cried Salvatore, interrupting the old woman, but, Signor Catalina, i entreat you by the blessed saints do pray let me in and then tell me all about your fig tree and your daughters your cat and your fat neighbor i am perishing of weariness and cold bless me how impatient we are rejoined the old dame piano va piano vasano va presto more lesto more haste lest speed take things cool and live longer i tell you but you are tired you are cold where are the keys quick with the keys But the old woman still had to wake up her daughters and kindle a fire. But, oh, she was such a long time about it, such a long, long time. At last she opened the door and let poor Salvatore in. But scarcely had he crossed the threshold than, overcome by fatigue and illness, he dropped on the floor as if dead. Happily, the widow's son, who generally lived at Tivoli, chanced to be at his mother's that night he was at once turned out of his bed to make room for the sick guest which he willingly submitted to the old woman was very fond of salvatore putting him as far as his artistic powers went above all the painters in the world and in everything that he did she also took the greatest pleasure she was therefore quite beside herself to see him in this lamentable condition and wanted to run off to the neighbouring monastery to fetch her father confessor that he might come and fight against the adverse power of the disease with consecrated candles, or some powerful amulet or other. On the other hand, her son thought it would be almost better to see about getting an experienced physician at once, and off he ran there and then to the Spanish square, where he knew the distinguished doctor Splendiano Accordamboni dwelt. No sooner did the doctor learn that the painter Salvator Rosa lay ill in the Via Bergognona. Then he at once declared himself ready to call early and see the patient. Salvador lay unconscious, struck down by a most severe attack of fever. The old dame had hung up two or three pictures of saints above his bed, and was praying fervently. The girls, though bathed in tears, exerted themselves from time to time to get the sick man to swallow a few drops of the cooling lemonade, which they had made, whilst their brother, who had taken his place at the head of the bed, wiped the cold sweat from his brow. And so morning found them, when, with a loud creak, the door opened and the distinguished Dr. Splendiano Cordomboni entered the room. If Salvatore had not been so seriously ill that the two girls' hearts were melted in grief, they would, I think, for they were in general frolicsome and saucy, have enjoyed a hearty laugh at the doctor's extraordinary appearance, instead of retiring shyly, as they did, into the corner, greatly alarmed. It will indeed be worth while to describe the outward appearance of the little man who presented himself at den Caterina's in the Via Bergoglona in the grey of the morning. In spite of all his excellent capabilities for growth, Dr. Splendiano cordomboni had not been able to advance beyond the respectable stature of four feet. Moreover, in the days of his youth, he had been distinguished for his elegant figure, so that before his head, always indeed somewhat ill shaped, and his big cheeks and his stately double chin had put on too much fat before his nose had grown bulky and spread owing to overmuch indulgence in spanish snuff and before his little belly had assumed the shape of a wine-tub from too much fattening on macaroni the priestly cut of garments which he at that time had affected had suited him down to the ground he was then in truth a pretty little man and accordingly the roman ladies had styled in their caro pupazzetto sweet little pet that however was now a thing of the past a german painter seeing dr Splendiano walking across the spanish square said and he was perhaps not far wrong that it looked as if some strapping fellow of six feet or so had walked away from his own head which had fallen on the shoulders of a little marionette clown who now had to carry it about as his own this curious little figure walked about in patchwork an immense quantity of pieces of venetian damask of a large flower pattern that had been cut up in making a dressing gown high up round his waist he had buckled a broad leather belt from which an excessively long rapier hung whilst his snow-white wig was surmounted by a high conical cap not unlike the obelisk in st peter's square since the said wig like a piece of texture all tumbled and tangled spread out thick and wide all over his back it might very well be taken for the cocoon out of which the fine silkworm had crept the worthy splendiano cordoboni stared through his big bright spectacles with his eyes wide open first at his patient then at dame catarina Calling her aside he croaked with bated breath there lies our talented painter Salvator Rosa, and he's lost if my skill doesn't save him, Dame Caterina. Pray tell me when he came to lodge with you. Did he bring many beautiful large pictures with him? Ah, my dear doctor, replied Dame Caterina, the poor fellow only came last night, and as for pictures, why, I don't know nothing about them. But there's a big box below, and Salvator begged me to take very good care of it before he became senseless, like what he now is. I dare say there's a fine picture packed in it, as he painted in Naples. What Dame Caterina said was, however, a falsehood, but we shall soon see that she had good reasons for imposing upon the doctor in this way. Good, very good, said the doctor, simpering and stroking his beard then with as much solemnity as his long rapier which kept catching in all the chairs and tables he came near would allow he approached the sick man and felt his pulse snorting and wheezing so that it had a most curious effect in the midst of the reverential silence which had fallen upon all the rest then he ran over in greek and latin the names of a hundred and twenty diseases that salvador had not then almost as many which he might have had and concluded by saying that, on the spur of the moment, he didn't recollect the name of his disease, but that he would within a short time find a suitable one for it, and along therewith the proper remedies as well. Then he took his departure with the same solemnity with which he had entered, leaving them all full of trouble and anxiety. At the bottom of the steps, the doctor requested to see Salvatore's box, Dame Caterina showed him one, in which were two or three other deceased husbands' cloaks, now laid aside, and some old worn out shoes. The doctor smilingly tapped the box on this side and on that, and remarked in a tone of satisfaction, We shall see, we shall see. Some hours later he returned with a very beautiful name for his patient's disease, and brought with him some big bottles of an evil smelling potion which he directed to be given to the patient constantly this was a work of no little trouble for Salvator showed the greatest aversion for utter loathing of the stuff which looked and smelt and tasted as if it had been concocted from Acheron itself whether it was that the disease since it had now received a name and in consequence really signified something had only just begun to put forth its virulence or whether it was that Splendiano's potion made too much of a disturbance inside the patient, it is at any rate certain that the poor painter grew weaker and weaker from day to day, from hour to hour. And, notwithstanding Dr. Splendiano Accoramboni's assurance, that after the vital process had reached a state of perfect equilibrium, he would give it a new start like the pendulum of a clock. They were all very doubtful as to Salvatore's recovery and thought that the doctor had perhaps already given the pendulum such a violent start that the mechanism was quite impaired. Now it happened one day that when Salvatore seemed scarcely able to move a finger, he was suddenly seized with the paroxysm of fever. In a momentary accession of fictitious strength, he leapt out of bed, seized the full medicine bottles, and hurled them fiercely out of the window. Just at this moment, Dr. Splendiano Accordamboni was entering the house, when two or three bottles came bang upon his head, smashing all to pieces, whilst the brown liquid ran in streams all down his face and wig and ruff. Hastily rushing into the house, he screamed like a madman, Signor Salvatore has gone out of his mind. He's become insane. No skill can save him now. He'll be dead in ten minutes. Give me the picture, Dame Catalina. Give me the picture, it's mine, the scanty reward of all my trouble. Give me the picture, I say. But when Dame Caterina opened the box, and Dr. Splendiano saw nothing but the old cloaks and torn shoes, his eyes spun round and his head like a pair of fire wheels. He gnashed his teeth, he stamped, he consigned poor Salvatore, the widow, and all the family to the devil. Then he rushed out of the house like an arrow from a bow, or as if he had been shot from a cannon after the violence of the paroxysm had spent itself salvator again relapsed into a death-like condition dame caterina was fully persuaded that his end was really come and away she sped as fast as she could to the monastery to fetch father boniface that he might come and administer the sacrament to the dying man father boniface came and looked at the sick man he said he was well acquainted with the peculiar signs which approaching death is wont to stamp upon the human countenance but that, for the present, there were no indications of them on the face of the insensible Salvatore. Something might still be done, and he would procure help at once. Only Dr. Splendiano Accordamboni, with his Greek names and infernal medicines, was not to be allowed to cross the threshold again. The good father set out at once, and we shall see later that he kept his word about sending the promised help. Salvatore recovered consciousness again he fancied he was lying in a beautiful flower-scented arbour for green boughs and leaves were interlacing above his head he felt a salutary warmth glowing in his veins but it seemed to him as if somehow his left arm was bound fast where am i he asked in a faint voice then a handsome young man who had stood at his bedside but whom he had not noticed until just now threw himself upon his knees, and, grasping Salvatore's right hand, kissed it and bathed it with tears as he cried again and again, Oh, my dear sir, my noble master, now it's all right, you are saved. You'll get better. But do tell me, began Salvatore, when the young man begged him not to exert himself, for he was too weak to talk. He would tell him all that had happened. You see, my esteemed and excellent sir, began the young man. You see, you were very ill when you came from Naples, but your condition was not a warrant by any means so dangerous, but that a few simple remedies would soon have set you, with your strong constitution, on your legs again. Had you not, through Carlos's well-intentioned blunder in running off for the nearest physician, fallen into the hands of the redoubtable pyramid doctor, who was making all preparations for bringing you to your grave, "'What do you say?' exclaimed Salvatore, laughing heartily, "'notwithstanding the feeble state he was in. "'What do you say, the Pyramid Doctor? "'I, I, although I was very ill, "'I saw that the little knave in Tammus Patchwork, "'who condemned me to drink his horrid loathsome devil's brew, "'wore on his head the obelisk from St. Peter's Square, "'and so that's why you call him the Pyramid Doctor?' "'Why, good heavens,' said the young man, "'Likewise laughing, why, Dr. Splendiano, a "'must have come to see you in his ominous conical nightcap. "'And, you know, you may see it flashing every morning "'from his window in the Spanish square like a portentous meteor. "'But it's not by any means owing to this cap "'that he's called the Pyramid Doctor. "'For that, there's quite another reason. "'Dr. Splendiano is a great lover of pictures "'and possesses, in truth, quite a choice collection.' which he has gained by a practice of a peculiar nature. With eager cunning, he lies in wait for painters and their illnesses. More especially, he loves to get foreign artists into his toils. Let them but eat an ounce or two of macaroni too much, or drink a glass more of Syracuse than is altogether good for them. He will afflict them with first one and then the other disease, designating it by a formidable name, and proceeding at once to cure them of it he generally bargains for a picture as the price of his attendance and as it is only specially obstinate constitutions which are able to withstand his powerful remedies it generally happens that he gets his picture out of the chattels left by the poor foreigner who meanwhile has been carried to the pyramid of Cestius and buried there it need hardly be said the signor splendiano always picks out the best of the pictures the painter has finished and also does not forget to bid the men take several others along with it the cemetery near the pyramid of cestius is dr splendiano accordumboni's cornfield which he diligently cultivates and for that reason he is called the pyramid doctor dame caterina had taken great pains of course with the best intentions to make the doctor believe that you had brought a fine picture with you. You may imagine, therefore, with what eagerness he concocted his potions for you. It was a fortunate thing that in the of fever you threw the doctor's bottles at his head. It was also a fortunate thing that he left you in anger, and no less fortunate was it that Dame Caterina, who believed you were in the agonies of death, fetched Father Boniface to come and administer to you the sacrament. Father Boniface understands something of the art of healing. He formed a correct diagnosis of your condition, and fetched me. Then you also are a doctor? asked Salvatore in a faint whining tone. No, replied the young man, a deep blush, mantling his cheeks. No, my estimable and worthy sir, I am not, in the least, a doctor like Signor Splendiano Accordamboni. I am, however... The I felt as if I should sink into the earth with fear, with joy, when Father Bonavus came and told me that Salvator Rosa lay sick unto death in the Via Vespignona and required my help. I hastened here, opened a vein in your left arm, and you were saved. Then we brought you up into this cool, airy room that you formerly occupied. Look, there's the easel which you left behind you. Yonder are a few sketches which Dame Caterina has treasured up as if they were relics. The virulence of your disease is subdued. Simple remedies, such as Father Boniface can prepare, is all that you want, except good nursing, to bring back your strength again. And now permit me once more to kiss this hand, this creative hand, that charms from nature her deepest secrets, and clothes them in living form. Permit poor Antonio Scacciati. "'to pour out all the gratitude and immeasurable joy of his heart "'that heaven has granted him to save the life "'of our great and noble painter, Salvator Rosa. "'Therewith, the young surgeon threw himself on his knees again, "'and, seizing Salvatore's hand, kissed it "'and bathed it in tears as before. "'I don't understand,' said the artist, "'raising himself up a little, though with considerable difficulty. I don't understand, my dear Antonio, what it is that is so especially urging you to show me all this respect. You are, you say, a chirurgeon, And we don't, in a general way, find this trade going hand in hand with art. As soon, replied the young man, casting down his eyes, as soon as you have picked up your strength again, my dear sir, I have a good deal to tell you that now lies heavy on my heart. Do so, said Salvatore you may have every confidence in me that you may for i don't know that any man's face has made a more direct appeal to my heart than yours the more i look at you the more plainly i seem to trace in your features a resemblance to that incomparable young painter i mean sancio note the great painter sancio rafael return to text antonio's eyes were lit up with a proud radiant light he vainly struggled for words with which to express his feelings. At this moment, Dame Caterina appeared, followed by Father Boniface, who brought Salvatore a medicine which he had mixed scientifically according to prescription, and which the patient swallowed with more relish, and felt to have a more beneficial effect upon him than the Acheronian waters of the Pyramid Doctor Splendiano, according to End of Part 1 of Signor Formica Recording by Thomas Copeland.